Well, I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy 5. And I want to start, uh, a, this is, is going to be the first message of a short series that I would like to do. Um, this series is, is one that I'm em, embarking on, I'm starting on because of suggestions from some of you brothers here. And um, that is concerning home and family and raising children and marriage. Um, Brother Glenn had a wonderful series here just a few years ago, and I think he did a very good job. Uh, this is not to take away, but I look back, and I think it was 2021, maybe, when you had that one, Glenn. So this is not any way trying to distract from that, but maybe it's just time to, to, to go again. And so I've entitled this series, Raising Up the Next Generation for God's Glory. Raising Up the Next Generation for God's Glory. And when we look at this place where we are here in the Scripture, Brother uh, uh, Alex read that passage of Scripture for us, and we find that they have the children of Israel have come through the wilderness, and they are just about to enter the land of Canaan. In fact, it is believed that in this place where they are just preparing to go into the land of Canaan was when God gave Moses these five books so that they would know where they're coming from, who got them there, and what God intended for them when they got there. And it is, my friends, applicable to our lives. Because all of us have a history. We have a place we've come from. All of us have a place that we're going. And all of us have the Word of God here to teach us what He wants from us, where we're going. So I want you to know that I'm not trying to, to uh, bring up some sort of, of hard and fast rules, but I want us to understand more that there is a, a preparation that God does. There's a, a, a work that He does on a holistic level where He he takes the person and as he brings a man and woman together and as, he, as, he, as they start a family, while they're raising their children, God's still raising them many times. And it's, that's, that was my, it's my experience. Uh, and, and even as we have some among us who are grandparents and great-grandparents, they look back on the fact and they say, God's still working on me. And it's still a work that God is doing. The title of this message comes from my children, and they didn't know this, but uh, they have often told me that it's hard to raise good parents these days. So this title of this message is Raising Godly Parents, Raising Up Godly Parents for His Glory. Raising Up Godly Parents for His Glory. And my, and my idea is not that I'm trying to straighten you out. My idea is that I want to give you a hand. I want to lift you up. 
I want you to know that God has a plan for you in this, in this context, in this place where you are right now. And you may not even be a parent. And maybe God has singleness or, or, or is not, has something else in mind for you. But you will influence the next generation in some way or another. And if you're not influencing the next generation now, you will down the road. You know, some of the big influences in my life were my single aunts and uncles. You know, God doesn't plan for everybody to have children and to be married. But it doesn't matter. He's bringing up the next generation, and we, the next generation is important to him. So let's, let's take this as not something to beat you over the head or us over the head with. Rather, I want to extend to you the grace of God this morning. I want to extend to you the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because if we don't have this, we're not going to raise up the next generation for the glory of God. It's just that simple. He's poured his grace into his word. And it's by his word and by his power that he accomplishes that which brings him glory. So I invite you to turn with me here to Deuteronomy 5. We're going to begin in verse 23. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. You please stand for the reading of the word. So it was, when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we will die. We shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear all, the word, all that the Lord our God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But for you, stand here by me. And I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand nor to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and it may, that it may be well with you, 
that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Lord, it is with humility and yet it is with joy that we look this morning at your word, knowing, Lord, that we must have a righteousness that exceeds our own righteousness or the righteousness of anyone else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So we come before you this morning needing to know and understand more of you, more of your word. Be willing, make us willing to apply this, Father. As we look at this, we truly believe, Lord, that you are speaking to us even in this day through your word. And I pray that we would take this seriously and that you would apply it to our hearts and use it in our lives, Father. We may glorify you with all that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the reasons that we're looking at this passage is because the next passage is, is chapter 6. Chapter 6 has to do with teaching our children. But before we teach the children, there's a bringing the parents up to the will of God. And that's what you find here in verse 5. This is to the adults. This is, this is us teaching, God teaching us, if I can say it right. We want to look, first of all, and, I, and I'm answering the question, what does it take to raise up the next generation for God's glory? We want to answer it out of this passage. What does it take to raise up the next generation for God's glory? Number one, we want to look at the proper fear of God. And number two, we want to look at true faith in God. And then we want to look at the blessings that follow this. So, number one, we want to look here at verses 23 through 29. The proper fear of God. And we could say the proper fear of God versus an unbelieving terror of God. As, as parents or as, as young people, you're standing here and you're looking at, at the will of God and the word of God and you look at this, this experience that these people had and it was a, it was a terrifying experience. In fact, we're, we're, what, we, what they saw and what their conclusion was about what they saw is the first thing we want to look at here. Verse 23, they saw a dramatic scene of darkness with the whole mountain and possibly the whole mountain range on fire on top of this mountain. And it was not only burning with fire, but it was with a tempest of fire, as Hebrews would say. It was with a powerful wind behind it. It was a, a force that was fixing to break out. And what they saw, we will, we will see here, was only intended to cause them to hear what God has said. Let's notice what he says. You said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory 
and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We heard it. You know, part of this is, is a, is, is a, is a, well, this is an introduction. This is a prelude to chapter six. And chapter six is the, is the portion called the Shemach in the Hebrew. And Shemach means to hear, to hear and to take heed. It's a little bit like if you're, if you're working and you're listening to uh, music on the side, you may hear it, but you're not paying close attention to it many times. That's not, that's not this kind of hearing. It's, it's, the, it's the kind of hearing where you're trying to tell your little son to do something and he's got his mind on something else and he's doing it. You say, here, listen to me now. That's what God is saying. Hear me. Listen to me. And this whole display of his power was to bring about a hearing. Was to get an audience and to get their attention in the way he intended. So, in order for there to be a proper fear of God, my friend, there must be a proper hearing. And let's notice what they, what they heard. They heard him speak audibly from the fire. Verse 24. We heard his voice. But notice that they knew that God was, that when this voice came out, that God was able at any time just to break out upon them and destroy them. And that's what God had told them. He says, you need to prepare yourself. You need to cleanse yourself. You need to repent of your sin. That was prior to them meeting God on the mountain. But what was their conclusion? Verse 25. Their conclusion is, now therefore, why should we die? For this fire will consume us. They, they're, they're terrified of the appearance and the presence of God. And there's a certain terror that comes with the presence of God. He is a consuming fire, as Hebrews said. When, when Isaiah saw him in the temple, his, his, his presence was so overpowering that he, it, it actually shattered him. He, he, was, he was absolutely undone, he says. When John saw Jesus in his vision, he was absolutely shattered. He was absolutely unable to speak there in Revelation. And when we, when we see this, there, let us understand that, that there is an element amongst in the human race that evil continues to be propagated from next from one generation to the next. And God wants a hearing from these his his chosen people because he wants them to know that unless they follow him, unless they fear him, and unless they have their trust in him, they too will pass on the evil that was a part of their natural their their human nature. Their conclusion was that they had just escaped death. We've just escaped death. We have just heard the voice of God and we lived through it. But let's notice what else he says, they say. 
They say here in verse 25, no, verse 26, I'm sorry. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of God, of the living God, speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Rather than hearing that God was trying to teach them something, they were looking around and saying there's nobody else that has experienced this and lived through it. Verse 27, they conclude then that Moses must go. Moses must stand before God. You go, you, you, you listen to everything that God has to say. Then come tell us and we'll hear it. I believe, my friends, that there were many here that were brought to actual proper fear of God. But there were many here. Most of them were terrified. They're ready to run from God. They're not wanting to draw near to Him. They're not wanting to be, be close with Him and relating to Him and Him teaching them and Him telling them the things they need to hear. Terror equals running and hiding from God. Well, proper fear has an element of, of, of fear in it, but it, it equals loving God and respecting Him and revering Him and drawing near to Him because of it. The God that we serve is a God of terror to the ungodly. And one day He will reveal Himself that way. But to his own and to his elect and to his children and to those who are in Christ. He is to be feared. He is to be feared with reverential fear. With, with, with a, a, a type of respect that we will not desire to offend him. That's, that's the type of fear. And unless we are fearing God, how are we going to teach our children to fear Him and to hear His Word? If we don't, if we don't fear God ourselves, if we just demonstrate in our lives that we lack the fear of God, and absolutely if there is no fear of God within you, you will one day face the terror of the Lord in His wrath and in His judgment. But the fear of God, Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom. And so if we're going to have wisdom to raise up the next generation, if we're going to teach the next generation about what it means to walk with God, we must fear God. We must reverence Him. There must be an absolute awe of Him. And that's what, and that's what many of these people missed. Let's, let's turn to Hebrews 12, and let's look at the, I love it when the New Testament gives us a commentary on the old. And this is a New Testament commentary on what happened here on the mount. So we have here on the mount, God speaking, but we have in the New Testament 
what God has to say through the writer of Hebrews. Begin, let's begin in verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire, to the blackness and darkness and tempest, to the sound and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the assembly and, and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See then that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but, I also, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's notice that they had legitimate reason to be afraid at Mount Sinai. What happened to these people that heard this voice? Moses is here repeating this, this to the children of Israel as they're about to go into the land of Canaan. But if I understand it properly, these, those who heard the original voice of God, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and the Scripture says their carcasses fell in the wilderness. And why? Because they didn't believe what God said. They, they, they were left with that promise un without recognizing or, or realizing or receiving any promise. And they died in the wilderness because they did not believe. So no wonder the word of God was a terror to them. And it, and it didn't seem to bring them godly fear. But rather they looked upon it with a terror to run and hide from God and said, Moses, you just tell us what we need to do. We'll do whatever it takes to pacify God. And it was so terrifying that even Moses, the one who was closest to God, the word that came was like the sound of a trumpet. It was so overpowering 
that they were begging him to stop because they didn't like to hear what was commanded. That's what he says. They could not endure what was commanded. And so they also knew that there was this command that whatever touched the mountain, man or beast, would, 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 be, would perish. They even saw the one who was closest to God, the one who was the, the, the leader of their group, the one who, whom God said he's the meekest man upon the face of the earth. They saw him. It says he was fear, in fear and trembling. <clears throat> he said, I exceedingly fear and tremble. If we'll look back to Exodus 20, in verses 20 and 21, I'm going to, going to read a couple verses there. <clears throat> we have Exodus recording, not, <clears throat> pardon me, not Moses reiterating it to the people, but the, the actual time and place in which it was happening. Moses said to the people, verse 20, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you may fear that his, I'm sorry, let me, see, let me read that again. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick, the thick darkness where God was. Now I want us to notice something here. Moses says, do not fear. God has come to test you that his fear might be before you. And if we just take the word fear in the same sense, that absolutely does is a contradiction of terms. Moses says, don't fear. And then he says, but God wants you to fear. And so what, what does this mean? The word fear for for the usage of the first when he says, do not fear, he means do not be in terror. God wants you to be reverent and in awe of him. You see, it's, it's, it's the awe and the reverence of him that drives out the terror and the fear of him in the wrong way. It is actually the, lo the love of God that drives us to reverence him and respect him. It is the terror of God that drives us to run away from him and to hide from him and to hate him. And so as we, <clears throat> as we understand what God is wanting here, God is wanting a proper fear of him, a right fear of him, a right reverence and respect for his word. And that's what Christ came to do. In fact, that's what gives the law its truest meaning. When Jesus said, I did not come to, put, to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to put them away, but to fulfill them. This aspect of the fear of God means that we want to draw near to him and we want to do what he expects of us. And that's what we find when we come to verse 22 of Hebrews 11. 
He says, you've not come in Christ to the Mount Zion again, where terror strikes your heart. But you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And I want us to notice that in this Mount Zion, in this in Christ, in his church, in his amongst his people, the first thing that comes that, that comes to, to, to anybody's attention here is a great gathering of, of glory. A great gathering of re- people that are having relationship with one another. And he starts out by saying, let's notice what comes with a proper fear of God in Mount Zion within the church. Number one, you're dwelling in the city of the living God. To be in the kingdom of God is to dwell in the city of the living God. And the city of the living God is just going to come to full realization in heaven. Heaven is going to be, is the city of God. It is the place of God. It is the place where the people of God, the angels of God, the spirits of God, and God himself and Jesus Christ are dwelling. And so let's not think that when we come to Christ that, you know, suddenly we're having to step out all by ourselves. You're stepping out from one group into another. And you're stepping out from lonely fear, lonely terror, to the, to the relationship of reverence for God. And reverence is such a thing that it, it's found in every one of his children. And that reverence for God, it says, let's notice who all is gathered here. We're gathered, it's a city of the living God. You're gathered together with the church. And notice that word, the general assembly. That word actually means a festal gathering. These people are together for a celebration. There's something about our breaking of bread every Sunday morning that ought to have a celebration attached to it. And the reason is because God is not taking his children back to Mount Sinai. He's taking them to Mount Zion. It doesn't change the fact that the law is still there. I like to think about it this way, and maybe it's it's a poor illustration. But let's just say the law of God is the high mountain. And at the very top of that mountain, you have written the, the commandments and the law of God. On the one side of this mountain, you have the glory of God being shown. And what it does is it casts a dark, long shadow on the other side. We're born in opposition to the glory of God. We're born on the other side of the law. We're born on the side where the law casts a dark shadow upon our lives. And yes, it's too too heavy for us to bear. Because the law demands perfect excellence. It demands constant, perfect obedience. 
The law expects us to do everything just right. And it's necessary because unless the standard of the law is there, there is no understanding of grace. Brother Terry finds that all the time on the, on the street, that unless you preach the law so that there's a framework of an understanding of God, grace has no substance to it. Grace is God granting us and transfer, granting us the ability to, and transferring us from the kingdom of darkness where the law casts its long shadow over into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his dear son. And we are there by the provision of Jesus Christ who kept that law perfectly for us. He didn't diminish it. He didn't take it away. He didn't make it any less, but he perfected it for us. So that now we are on the side of the mountain where God's grace, God's grace now shines upon us. God has given his blessing upon the gathering of the people of God. His law is still there. But it's not anymore a curse. It's a blessing. The law is the framework by which God sanctifies us to make us like Jesus Christ. Because if you want to know what Jesus Christ was like, he's the perfect keeper of that law. And some people just try to do away with the law. And that's not the answer because God doesn't do away with the law. In fact, if you try to do away with the law, you're probably running away from God. You're probably still in terror. But genuine reverence and fear brings us to the other side where God's blessing and his glory and his favor is shining upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that he accomplished, and he says, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours by faith. And so we understand this morning that if we're going to raise the next generation for the glory of God, we must deal with this issue of the terror of God in our hearts. Apart from Christ, we're all born on the side where the law casts a long shadow upon our lives. And it's a dark and miserable place. There are people that have done their level best to raise their family according to what they know of the law of God from the dark side. And my friends, though, you, though God does things beyond our comprehension, it often casts a longer and darker shadow on the next generation. The works of the flesh will never accomplish God's satisfaction in our lives. And what he's simply saying is, that mountain should not terrify you anymore because that's not where you belong. Today you belong in Mount Zion. Today you belong on the side of the law where there's a gathered church who's celebrating the grace of God, who's celebrating that Christ has overcome the sin in their lives and made them able to stand with him. They're celebrating the fact that that law no longer casts its long dark shadow in condemnation upon their lives. 
but they fear and they reverence him. They respect him because he is God. You're also dwelling with God, it says. God who is the judge of all. God who is the one who will, to whom we must all give an account. The ancient of days is there. The one who, is, who sits on the throne. The one whose name is holy. The one who is pure so that the heaven of heavens is not pure in his sight. He there dwells with his people. Well, not only this, but he says we dwell with the spirits of just men made perfect. What does he mean? We dwell with those who have died and gone on before. Those who are now perfected in Christ. Their spirit is with Christ. Their body is in the grave. But in heavenly places, we dwell with them. They are very much alive in the presence of God if they are just men before the Lord and just women before the Lord. It's a gathering together of people where the relationship with God drives the relationship of each other. Friends, that's what the church is. It is the congregation of people who have relationship because they have a relationship with God first. And this fear and this, and this respect and this awe of God holds them together in a unique way so that they are able to raise the next generation for the glory of God. We are just coming off. This is after chapter 11. And we see all the heroic feats of faith and how that the, the faith was caught by the next generation. My friends, it's in this gathering of saints, it's in this place of Mount Zion that your children and your grandchildren will understand the impact of Christ. A lot of people want to do it by themselves. They want to go it alone. They don't get along with anybody else. They can't submit to anybody else. This, my friends, is what the fear of God brings every child of God together with the family of God. Not only are we with righteous people, right to just souls of just men made perfect, but as in the most important, we're here with Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of the new covenant. We are here with the one who is the means of us being here. We are the one, we are here with Christ himself. If, if there's anything that makes this place the glorious place it is, it is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't, care, I don't care what kind of flaws and blemishes we come with, if the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ 
is here. Your children can see the glory of God. I don't care how perfect, I don't care how right everything else is. If the presence of Jesus Christ is not here, they'll miss it. They'll miss it. And I tell you, friends, it's because of the fear of God that the people of God want to be in the place that God has put them and they want to be there for his glory. Terror of God only causes us to run from him, not to follow him. Terror of God comes, with, comes from unbelief. God's fearful presence, presence on the mountain obliterated the remembrance of their glorious deliverance. You remember how he starts that out? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. If terror obliterates grace, then you need to ask God for wisdom and grace. Because you need to question the fact whether you are really saved. I know that there's a wrong focus that you can have, even as a believer. You can focus inward on yourself. <coughs> or me. And you can see all your blemishes and all your faults, and you can look at and become so uh, ingrown and inward, inward directed that you can't see the grace of God. And, and, and God has redeemed you, and yet you're hindering your life by looking inside, and you need to look to Christ. It is looking to Christ that you find yourself able to love Him and to fear Him. It's filling your eyes, the, the mind and the heart with Jesus Christ Himself. That enables you to have the confidence to fear and trust God. Unless, unless there is this gazing upon Christ, this looking to Christ, there will not be the proper fear. Although God is still the same God in Mount Zion as he was on Mount Sinai, the relationship that we have with him on Mount Zion is one of love for him, of love for each other, of festive celebration over deliverance of sin. And lastly, the hope of eternal life. He says, I'm going to shake the earth again. I'm still that God of fire and consuming fire. But this time, I'll shake the earth with my people in Mount Zion. I'll shake the earth with what can be shaken. Mount Zion's not going to be shaken, friends. The church will not be destroyed by the wrath of God. But everything else will be. And that's what we must understand. That when we raise the next generation, we must raise them with the confidence that God has an unshakable way. That His word and His truth and His purposes and his plans they're unshakable i look at the next generation i say well what are my i know what what i face i know what my children face what's the next generation going to face 
a whole new wave of technology will probably be in effect by that time. And we ask, well, what, what, about, what about Mount Zion? What about the city of God? What about the heavenly Jerusalem? That don't change. It don't change just like the word of God doesn't change. People will change. People will come and go. People will ebb and flow. But God never changes. And so as we, as we look at this, brothers and sisters, let us find ourselves coming to him, seeking to fear him with deep reverence and respect that brings love and joy and rest in him. So I want to ask you today, what is your relationship with Christ? What is your relationship with God like? Are you in terror of him? Or maybe you just don't even care about him at all. Maybe you're like the people who said, we're just getting away from this mountain. Let me just tell you, if you're in terror of the Lord, it's because something's wrong. You're on the wrong side of the mountain. You're on the wrong, in the wrong place. He, he, Christ came not to condemn the, the lost at this point, but to seek and to save that which was lost. And he is in the business today of taking his children from being under the curse of the law to being in righteousness with him. And my friend, if you're running away from him and you want to disregard him, you still have the terror of the Lord in your heart. And you need to listen to it. There's a reason it's there. There's a reason that these people didn't want to get anywhere close to God. And I, and I beg you today, if, if, if this is your if you, this is your testimony, you fit with these people more than you fit with the people of Mount Zion. My dear people, I beg you, look at why it is that you want to run from the Holy God. Are you among, or do you have a proper fear of God this morning that draws you to Him in a loving, in a loving relationship and in a close relationship? That you, that you long to draw near to him. You know, the Hebrew writer says that in Christ we now have confidence that we may now draw near to him. That we can now enter the holy place because of the new and living way. The way of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we enter in and just brazenly and, and carelessly and callously. We can't do that. It means that we enter in with godly fear, knowing that he has loved us and redeemed us. It's his pleasure that we're there. It's God's good pleasure that we come before him as his children. And if you fear him this morning in that way, you understand what I'm speaking about. There is no other place that holds the preciousness of communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, of worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ.
we're just going to to divide this into two two different two different messages. I'm going to have to to leave the next part till till later. But let's look at let's look at this yet briefly. In Deuteronomy 5, he says in verse 29, Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. God's intent is to draw his people near. He says, I just owe that these people had the heart to love me. Brother Glenn preached on this passage. I think it was the theme passage of that, of that series. It is the heart of God that his people would have such a heart that they would keep his commandments. Do you know what, the, what he says in Jeremiah about the new covenant? He says, I will give them a new heart, and I'm going to write my law in that heart, and they will walk with me, and I will be with them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. So this morning, brothers and sisters, if you're fearing, if you're, I'm sorry, if you're, if you're raising children, you're in that process right now. You understand what it means for God to be still raising you up. The number one thing that you, can, that you can come to in this passage to prepare you, to grow you, to mature you, to continue to give you grace in teaching your children is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord and continue to grow in that fear, continue to grow in that, that respect and reverence and draw near to learn more. Draw near to, to, to be with him and with his people. He says that you would, that they, oh, that they had that heart in them, that they would fear me and keep my commandments. That word keep means to guard them, that they would count what the commandments of God that they have, they, they would count them as precious. Something we don't want to lose. Something we can't, we can't just be negligent with. Something we, we're not just going to be lax with because it comes from God. It's precious because it comes from Him. We live in a day where people are turning loose of their principles all over the place. In fact, as I was listening to message here recently, the preacher lamented the fact that you hear over and over again how these people who are known to be Christians for written books and they, you'll see this notice that they're in the in the in the process of of introspection concerning their faith, and they're in the process of deconstructing it. It's happening all the time, and it's because, my friends, they have not understood the fear of the Lord. They've never come to the to the relationship of knowing Christ. And they may have faked it for many years, but at some point it's revealed. The heart 
to love the Lord is a heart that keeps loving the Lord because it's the only lasting foundation. He is the only, only eternal source of love. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. This world system is going to pass away. But the Lord and His Word will not pass away. Are you fearing the Lord this morning? If you're preparing for marriage, or you think that God may have something for you sometime, to learn what it means to properly fear the Lord will be one of the greatest blessings in your life. It will prepare you for what it takes to raise up the next generation. If you're here and you've got children who are having children, your grandparents, I'm there. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is what's going to bring your family together. It's the fear of the Lord that's going to drive you to care about the next generation. It's the fear of the Lord that's going to enable you to lead and to be the, be the, the, the grandparent to come alongside of your children and help them. I think of my grandmother many years ago as we were visiting her. It's been 14 years ago. How that she had 63 grandchildren at that point and about 160 great-grandchildren. And she had all the names of those grandchildren and most of the names of the great-grandchildren written on a list and as we were there visiting one day, one of my boys happened to see the list and he saw his name. He barely knew my grandmother, but she was praying for him. As grandparents, you fear the Lord. You never know. You never know what your prayers will mean to a grandchild. Or to a child. You never know what it will mean to them that you fear the Lord. That you love him with your heart. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, as we, as we have looked at this passage, I pray that you would impress upon our minds. Impress upon our hearts. Your will for us to fear you. Lord, that we would not run in terror from you, but that we would draw near in true assurance of faith. Knowing that you have dealt with the issue of our sin. I pray for those who, have not, who do not know you, Lord, today. The law casts a long and heavy, dark shadow upon their lives. They sit in condemnation and in sin and in prison. Or may this be the day when the light of the gospel shines through. Or by your grace, we ask that you would 
transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize the glory of being in your kingdom, the beauty and the wonder that you have saved us from the wretchedness of our sin. And you have given us a place of eternal dwelling with you forever. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.